What's incredible about things like building out your FAQs or your support site or what have you is it's a one-to-many type of thing. You create it once, maybe you update it occasionally and such, right? But some of our FAQs get used three, four, five, six thousand times a month. And when we're busy, it's 10, 11,000 times a month. Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Zendesk, where we explore new trends and technology in customer experience. Each episode, we speak with industry innovators and experts to hear their thoughts, unpack industry trends, and discuss the most important ideas around CX. I'm your host, Nicole Saunders. In this episode, I'm speaking with Michael Pace, who builds customer experiences for Virgin Pulse as their Vice President of Global Member Services and Operations in Providence, Rhode Island. He is also the president of the Northeast Contact Center Forum, which is New England's largest community of customer service and contact center professionals. In 2022, Michael was recognized as the CCW Leader of the Year, and Virgin Pulse was recognized as the Best Culture Winner and runner-up in Best In-Class Contact Center. Michael has accomplished so much at Virgin Pulse, and he has some great insights to share about how he helped to scale their self-service operations and actually saved money on support even as the customer base was in a phase of rapid growth. Stay tuned to hear all about it. Ready to take your customer experiences to the next level? Build lasting relationships with Zenesk's complete customer service solution so that you can exceed every customer's expectations. Sign up for a free trial at Zendesk.com. Hi, Michael, and welcome to Conversations with Zendesk. Hello. Good to see you, Nicole. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Beautiful weather up here in New England, so I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. I'd love to have you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and, and provide some more context. So, Michael, who are you and why are you part of this conversation today? I have a career where I get to help people and build amazing environments for customers and their journeys. But my day job is I'm the Vice President of Member Services and Operations at Virgin Pulse. We're a wellness company. We help millions of members all over the world improve their health through just smart gamification and a fantastic application that keeps you interested and engaged and keeps you moving, keeps your wellness and your health up. Make sure you do all those preventive screenings and all those kind of things. It's fantastic to be a part of this company. And I'm also the president of Northeast Contact Center Forum. It's one of the largest nonprofit customer service and contact center communities in the country. And we just finished our big event up at Gillette Stadium recently. I know we could all use a little more health and wellness. As we were talking before the show, you told me a little bit about how much the company has grown, but how you've really managed to keep your support costs steady, stable, maybe even going down a little bit compared to the growth of the company. So tell us a little bit more about that and how you did it, because I think that is Probably every support manager's dream is to yeah. keep those costs flat <laughs> as the customer base rises. So let's dig in. The short of the long answer is we really maximize a lot of our self-service, maximize all of our contacts to drive, kind of keep our container contacts. With Virgin Pulse, we've grown anywhere from 10 to 15% year over year. And we'll keep doing that for the last four or five years. And we're probably 50, 60% bigger than when I first started. Wow, that's some big growth. It is, but we actually have less contacts coming into the contacts than we did in 2019, which is that's amazing. absolutely amazing. 
And one of the biggest things, and Zendesk has been an amazing partner for us here, is a couple big areas. So one, our support site, or I think Zendesk calls it the guide, right? Mm -hmm. And we keep all of our FAQs there. We really invested this in 2019, and part of it was I had a Virgin Pulse customer service issue myself, and I went to the self-service site. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it. We had somewhere around 350 or so articles. They were really outdated. They looked old. The framing of the site just didn't look up to date and such. So we invested a little bit of manpower, a little bit of work, and let's first refresh these articles and like let's refresh the page a little bit. Now we have 2,000 plus articles. We used to have probably had more human contacts and articles viewed, actually by a lot. Now we've sort of inverted that and we have three times as many people looking at articles than we do people actually contacting us. That's great. How did you identify what those articles needed to be? How did you dig into figuring out the exact content that was necessary? Yeah. So obviously one Zendesk does sort of provide those, I think they call them actually mm -hmm. cues for you. Content cues, yeah. And content cues kind of tell you what people are looking at and kind of digging in. We're looking at why people are contacting us through our disposition mm -hmm. coding, our reasons for contact, and let's create more articles that relate to that. We sit with a ton of IoT devices, so you know, Fitbits, Apple Watches, tons of other brands. So we wanted to make sure we covered all kinds of devices across the whole range. So, And then, like I said, just make sure we're doing the 80% of only sort of the Pareto type of thing, where 80% of your stuff comes from 20% of like the things out there. So we really focused on that big 20% that was covering 80% of our volume. And then once we got it set, then it also became about making sure that we're really plugged into the product folks. So every time that they were updating the app, with the UI changed or if the process changed or what have you, that we were investing time and changing up those articles. So the articles were a big, big piece of it. When I think of that mountain of contacts that we're saving now at our current scale, it's almost a million contacts. Wow. Yeah, over the last four years. And when we looked at what were the big drivers creating that sort of waterfall of all the things that created this reversing of contacts and such, and okay. the sports site was about 32% for the reason for that. You coded all of those things that were coming in and you said, yep. okay, here's why people are contacting us. You made sure that you had documentation about that in your help center, yep. got that looking nice and everything. So that covered 32%. So that's a great first step. So yeah, tell us about what else, what were the other pieces that really helped with that reduction in contacts? I'd say the next biggest one really was about, I'm going to call it platform stability or the little things within the app or the platform that cause people to contact us, right? That's something that specifically that we could help with or we could actually change, but we could let the folks know who develop our product and our engineers to let them know that this is what we're getting each month. And this is what we're really seeing right now as the top sort of drivers, whether it's something with the login or like I said about devices or the kinds of questions that they're asking about in terms of rewards or what have you. And I think we calculated about 21% improvement or at least reduced contacts in that manner. 
So that's just fixing things with the tool and the platform, the experience. Yeah, it's just listening to the customer and actually just going in and making it a priority for people to fix. And then I'd say the third biggest one was, I'm going to call it our bots and our other self-service tools, like a visual IVR and such. But we do use the bots that Zendesk does provide us with our chat and email. Mm-hmm. Great part is it's taken all that work that we did with the support site and the FAQs. And as people start typing things that are related to their question or issue, it's pulling from those FAQs to say, is this what you're looking for? So I have an Apple Watch. Let's pull the Apple Watch things and providing that to them. And that was sort of the third place thing. And it was about 9% as well of our total reduction. That including our visual IVR, which is just, if we know you're calling in from a cell phone, there's a few things that we can help you out with, which is a simple SMS and like a password reset or something like that. Of course, there's other things like we increase our first contact resolution. Obviously, the high, each percentage that grows is another percent that you're not getting in anymore. Some good process management, some strong people management, all these kind of things kind of added up to, at scale, it's roughly about a 64% reduction in contact. And that's just huge, but I love how you called out that it is an ecosystem, right? There are yes. some parts of that that were implementing technical tools. There was some of it that was optimizing how those tools are implemented and presented to users. There's a piece of it that was content development. There's yeah. a piece of it that was voice of the customer and building the things in the product. And one of the things that I love that you called out there was that you were looking at your contact reasons and the questions people were asking and feeding that to your product org. I think some companies really think of product feedback as like feature requests and customers coming saying, I want you to fix this. But the reality is every question that gets asked of your support team is product feedback because it's something that didn't work as expected or wasn't intuitive. Talk to me a little bit about that coding process because it sounds like that was sort of the linchpin of a lot of this was how did you operationalize tracking all of those things? Did you have a team sit down and do it or did you make it part of the support agent thing of tagging every ticket or what did that look like for you? Every conversation, regardless of channel, receives a reason for contact. The big part is, that's almost the easy part. Yeah. (laughs) All these people are contacting you, getting the info out and then it becomes, how do I get the insightful information into the right hands to actually make things happen? And I'm personally a gigantic fan of not only transparency, but the discipline of dashboards. So mm-hmm. every month for the last 49, 48 months, or probably like 52 months now, we have produced a member services dashboard. Now it has all of our quality of experience metrics. How do people feel about the experience? Our cost scale flexibility metrics, which is a lot of stuff we're talking about right here. Our people metrics, of course, the people are your most important asset, which they are to us here. You got to make sure you're measuring that. And then also your operational excellence, which is like your risk management and your discipline and all those kind of things. So one of the pieces of that content that, so this goes out to every single director in the entire company. Wow. That's like a lot of great visibility on that data. Yes. Every <laughs> single month. And this is the last three months of disposition coding that we've seen. These are the top 15 reasons for contact. Would love your thoughts on these different types of things. 
and some of it's organic and that they just see it in the product. People are actually changing things before we even know they're actually working on things and such. Oh, wow. Sometimes it just becomes things that we push and we push hard. We obviously have the data right here. One of the things for me that I think it's really, really powerful about these dashboards and making sure they're communicated out is good or bad, it's really important, right? So mm -hmm. you have a great metrics month. All your service levels are in line. You hit every kind of KPI across your board. It is great celebration to get out to everybody, right? And make sure your story that's part of that dashboard is in there too. But you're going to have things happen, right? Where either your forecast comes in hotter than you thought or something broke or whatever the case is. It's tough sending out that one, right? When these metrics aren't looking fantastic. But when you work with a great team of people, they understand that they're all there to help you too, right? So I don't think I've ever gotten feedback like, you got to fix this. It's more of how can we help you fix this thing? And sometimes it's things I didn't even know that were like actual problems. It's two or three kind of points down the line or somebody has a relationship with a part of the company, part of the larger environment that might be causing some of the issues or what have you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like earned media. Type of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. You just put it out there and it kind of grows itself and people help you out. And a lot of that platform stability stuff just comes from being really diligent about getting that information out, being really, really transparent. And then I guess it's about being lucky about working with a lot of great people who want to help you out too. So it sounds like you've got a culture that is very cooperative, right? I definitely see how for some teams it could be scary to put out that dashboard and be like, hey guys. Here's all of the things that customers don't like about our product. That doesn't feel good, but it sounds like your team is really good at approaching that as, hey, here's some places that we can help people. What do you think Virgin Pulse has done to really help develop that culture of collaboration and trust where you can be transparent and it's not throwing anybody under the bus or anything? The magic word there was culture. It's in our values. One of our core values is one team, one dream, right? So yeah. we're all kind of here for each other, for the member, for our clients. I think another piece of that is it's articulated in our company's values. It's also articulated in our member services sort of values and standards. These are our guiding principles in member services. A lot of it has to do with the employee experience being the most important part of the customer experience, but living our culture is a gigantic piece of that. and things like building relationships and being able to kind of help influence others or competencies that we're working on, not only at the manager level, but all the associate levels and such too. So they're just about equally measured on how they get the work done as what the actual result of the work is too, which is really fantastic. It's really, really ingrained in the culture at the company level, but also sort of in our department level as well. We've talked about how implementing all these things really helps with your support, right? And obviously it's helped you to improve your products and your offerings a bit. Talk to me a little bit about how that's improved customer satisfaction, because I imagine that if you're getting people good answers and you're improving the product, ideally that's making your customers happier. Is that one of the impacts you've seen and how have you been measuring that? We received 64% less contacts at scale than we did before, but our CSAT has actually also gone up too. So it went from something hovering in the mid to low 80s. We couldn't crack this 86% ceiling for a while, right? But we also made some changes, worked with a few partners. We're pulling in different data from 
for our CSAT provider and our Zendesk. And our CSAT hasn't been below 90 about 15, 16 months. We have an incredibly high engagement score, both I'd say not only within the company, but this engagement score, I think could really stand anywhere, just kind of shows the people really do love working here and they do love of kind of helping out our members. You got to remember, we did a lot of this during COVID too, right? So yeah, being able to do this in a business continuity environment is really, really incredible. I'm so proud of it. I'm probably gushing a little bit too much about it, but I truly believe the number one driver of our CSAT is our employees, right? So yeah. if our associates, our employee experience is great, great EX equals great CX, right? We make sure that they have a fantastic environment to work in. Obviously, with COVID, you got to make sure it's safe, right? Uh -huh. Thank goodness we're past all that. You're taking care of them compensation standpoint. Then you're helping them grow individually and grow in their careers. During the course of the year, we shift up and down for some seasonality. We have between about 150 and 225 associates in total. But over the last two and a half years, We've had 130 associates in member services get promoted into other roles throughout the company. 80% of that 130 are in other areas. So we're also now sort of seeding the rest of Virgin Pulse with people who have an understanding of the member, right? Yeah. And all the things that the member services team people go through. And for the associates, it's fantastic because I'm a big believer in the best of motivations for folks is growth, right? And yeah, when they see a fantastic career or light at the end of the tunnel or really just kind of doing what they really want or eventually want to do or figure out what they want to do, helping them get there through really strong management and providing them the opportunities and then obviously making sure they understand those opportunities are out there is incredibly important. And you're also going to get also folks who just want to be the best call center customer service folks in the world. And the things that we hear about now in the employee survey are tools. I'm like excited when I hear that. All the other things are taken care of. Right. You've got like the management in place, the professional development. Now people are just like, well, I want something that... I want better information. I want these <laughs> kind of things. And that's been a lot of our focus this, this last year is how do we take the contextual health data and drive it to our folks? So how do we leverage our Zendesk tool to pull in the information from various different points, right? Or various mm -hmm. data sets and pull it in so the agent doesn't have to go anywhere, right? Or when they start talking about an e-commerce return with somebody and they start typing notes that we're pulling in, it could be the FAQs, it could be completely other tools and such that have this information in providing this contextual help and it makes their tools better. And that's really like one of the big things we're focused on right now with them. Well, it sounds like you've got this amazing culture. You're doing a really great job of developing people and helping them grow in your careers. And I really want to call out what you said, that a great employee experience is what makes a great customer experience. And I think that that is so true because if your employees aren't happy and feeling empowered and feeling good about things, how can they offer great support and service to your customers. So you've improved your support, you've improved your customer satisfaction, you're doing amazing things with your employees. What was the hardest part about this journey that you've been on over the last couple of years? I know you mentioned doing it during COVID, which is certainly a challenge that we've all had to face with various projects over the last few <laughs> years. But what were some of the biggest challenges or hurdles? And did you have anybody that was 
pushing back at any point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the line of success <laughs> is not a straight line, typically, right? It's a pretty squiggly one. It wasn't all just sunshine and rainbows for you? No, it was pretty squiggly. <laughs> I can say we've been pretty lucky that we've been able to work with some fantastic people. I think we have the same type of problems and issues that everybody has, right? <laughs> Folks asking you to do more with less. Yeah, that's been a big challenge lately for a lot of companies. Right, do more with less. Or you don't have the funding to bring out three or four more people or five or six more people or how many you think you need at this point in time, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure part of where that tool conversation comes in is, okay, you either need people or you need technology, one or the other, and how can right. you scale that and which one's more cost-effective? Right. And how do you put these things together? The harder things are usually, besides for the do more with less, everybody has that problem in the customer service world. Right. I think it's the things where you're like, I know what we need to do. I know what it is. I know what the end piece looks like. How can we get there? How can we get there faster? How can we... How do you keep everybody aligned through the journey? <laughs> get everybody aligned and go there and we kind of talked about it when I joined in late 2018 and really December 18. So really 19 was my first year. Yeah. The way we sort of described it was we're flying the airplane while we're building it. Mm -hmm. I've been on a lot of those airplanes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop doing what we do every day. Members need help and we're going to help them out. But we need to be able to do that and grow our infrastructure, change our infrastructure, change our processes, upskill our people, all these different things, right? At the same time, trying to do it when those months when you're like getting slammed and you're busy and you're probably short on people or you're short on patients even or short on whatever, right? And you're still trying to balance this thing of making sure you're taking care of the kind of current world, but also building for the future. And we're successful now. It doesn't mean we're stopping. We're still building for the future. The great part is there's still a lot more room to grow and places to go and things to do. So I was going to ask what's next. It sounds like you've optimized all sorts of things, but surely there's a next chapter. Yeah, I'm going to give you an answer to that. It's not going to surprise you. So I'm pretty bullish on the AI front myself, whether it's the chat GPT news or people just kind of getting used to it. But mm -hmm. I do think the improvements in conversational AI tools is going to be pretty dramatic for customer service and broader contact center industry. Hopefully, I'd love to be able to take everyday sort of questions and have members who want to go down that path of the self-service and let them go down that path and be able to get the answers that are being, again, very similar, that collect that contextual help and being delivered through AI. I'm not suggesting Terminator 2, Skynet, whatever type stuff she had and, <laughs> and blowing this whole thing up. There's going to be a lot of room for the customer service world in the future. 20 years ago or something like that, or what thought websites would end customer service, right? And mm -hmm. I think now we just have more places for people to contact us through with websites and other kinds of things. We're definitely bullish on, I'm going to say, dipping our foot in to the AI space. I'm not saying... It's more than a toe, but we're not going to jump whole body in. You're not diving head first. <laughs> the speed of its change is absolutely incredible. Each month you're hearing a new type of thing, a new large language model or something like that coming out that could really, really impact the conversations you're having with folks. 
it feels like a space that people are pretty comfortable with now, right? I think more often than not, when people are chatting, they know they may get a quick automated response from something, mm-hmm. and regardless of what industry you're in. Now we're going to look to apply it to our phone calls too. So help us understand kind of what you want. We'll get you routed to the right people. If you do want to go down a self-service path, we're going to give that to you too. Now there's a lot of people, I think I'm one of them, who would prefer that digital channel first. And for a lot of things that I'm working on or things that affect me. Of course, if it's something financial or really, really impactful, I want a person, I want a person, I want a person, the thing, and let's get right. them to those people. So that's what I mean by we're going to go more than a toe. We're not jumping in wholly. Starting where it makes sense, kind yeah, of. Yeah, starting where it makes sense. See how big or small this is actually going to impact. Yeah. I think some folks will tell you, oh, this will take 40, 50, 60% of your contact or intercept your contacts. I'm not sure yet that's going to be the case, right? So- Let's get a baseline of these kind of contacts are being serviced via automated attendance. Are people complaining about those automated attendance? Right. I'm sure you'll keep collecting all that good feedback on it. Keep collecting that feedback and then either slightly adjust or it could be this isn't quite right for a machine. This is really what we need a person for and such. So You've talked a lot about your employee experience and how important that is to you. Have you even thought to how AI might help improve your employees' experiences and how that might be used, whether it is to make the act of being a human supporting a user a little bit easier, or I know that a lot of companies are experimenting with it. How are you thinking about it for the internal use case? There's definitely a few. So first one, going back to what I was talking about before, about how do you get that contextual help, right? We have- data in four or five different places. As a growing company, you kind of start building out one thing, then another thing comes in, there's another tool somebody introduces, right? We have account management teams who use a different tool and they're all over the place. So we want something that can sort of aggregate those things, find the right answers, deliver them to the agent where they are while they're working on whatever they're working on, whether it's working on a chat or working on an email or searching for it when they're on a phone call, pulling those type of things in. I think there's a lot of opportunity to take the conversational voice stuff and summarizing it and the whole taking notes type of thing, right? So taking these AI things that are able to do sort of the speech to text type of thing and then kind of chat GPT that text and summarize that, throw it in your notes and move on, right? Or it could be do all that, summarize the notes, put the disposition in, put the tags in. It could be a few steps I think we could eventually automate down the line. Again, we're not throwing all this kind of stuff at everybody at first. I mean, eventually it could also help with actual writing the actual chats, with actual writing the emails back to people and things like that. Well, it sounds like being really intentional and thoughtful about how you implement things has been one of the keys to your success with all of this. Clearly, you've given a lot of thought to what it needs to look like, what needs to be involved, how it's going to impact that employee experience that is so important. Do you have any concerns around AI potentially disrupting your employees' job satisfaction or the jobs themselves? I know that one of the big concerns for support agents (laughs) around the world right now is, are their jobs going to be replaced? Do you see this as an augmentation or a replacement, or how do you see that playing out as you think about your company culture and the value of those employees that you are so focused on? 
it's fantastic to be a part of a growing company, right? Yeah. So yeah, again, if we're growing 10, 15, 20% every year, right? I mean, that means the support needs are kind of growing by that. And I got to figure out different ways to kind of keep things kind of where they are today. So I think part of it is it might slow down more new people getting to experience the Virgin Pulse employee mm-hmm. experience because we hopefully wouldn't need to hire so much. I do think for the folks who are here, if we can get rid of some of the repetitive tasks, typically the contact center space is an entry point to other areas of the company. If mm-hmm. they understand the core pieces of AI and how AI can help them with different things, we can upskill those skills and they could leverage those into HR or marketing or other IT help desk groups or what have you. That's a great point. Learning how to use AI in a customer service setting could really be a great skill developer for yeah. all sorts of different fields where this is going to be starting to come into play. Yeah. I started in about 1997 in sort of the customer service world. And every four years, there's some tool or something that's going yep. to take, yep. yeah, like I mentioned earlier, <laughs> websites were going to take over everything. And IBRs were going to take over everything. And at one point, everyone was only going to do social media for their customer service, right? And more often than not, they actually usually end up adding on to all the channels and stuff that you have. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said earlier, a lot of these things like the support side have minimized some of the impacts of the need for customer service. The need for customer service has been around forever. I truly think people are still going to need humans or some type of, might be human to a robot to a human, being able to help them out. So we'll see. I mean, I think we'll adjust as we see things going. If Skynet comes down or whatever like that, then we'll figure <laughs> out, you know, what's That's a whole new world there. for all of us. That's a whole new different thing for everybody, yeah. Michael, it sounds like you're doing really amazing stuff. I can't wait to see where you go next. Last question. Okay. If you were talking to another support leader and they were like, man, I want to embark on a journey like yours. Our company's growing. I need to keep my support costs level. What would be your biggest piece of advice? If you haven't already thought about your knowledge base and built that out, it's such a great hub for so many different areas today, right? So all this AI stuff we're talking about, it needs to learn from somewhere, right? It needs to get this information from somewhere. And what's incredible about things like building out your FAQs or your support site or what have you is it's a one-to-many type of thing. You create it once, maybe you update it Uh occasionally and such, right? But some of our FAQs get used three, four, five, six thousand times a month. And when we're busy, it's 10, 11,000 times a month, right? And... Theoretically, those would have been people calling in or emailing in or chatting in that would have taken another human from supporting another person who's contacting with a much more sort of difficult type of thing. It's incredibly scalable to kind of focus on that. So you don't need a ton of people to focus on your self-help and your self-service tools and such and to keep them updated and all those kind of things. That to me, it was just such a game changer Great. Well, my takeaways today, like you said, focus on that knowledge base. Make sure you're listening to your customers to inform what needs to be there. And make sure you're focused on your employee experience because that's going to go a long way in making a great customer experience. So thanks so much for joining me today, Michael. This is a really great conversation and look forward to catching up again sometime in the future. Thank you, Nicole. This is great. 
Well, that was a really inspiring conversation. It is just amazing to hear what Michael and his team have accomplished in these last few years over at Virgin Pulse. I love how focused they are on the employee experience and the impact that that has on the customer experience. It's such a key thing to call out, especially in these times where we're all feeling a little tight and a little stretched in our work. They've also done a really amazing job building up that knowledge base and doing it by listening to their customers and understanding what's most important to them. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation and had some useful takeaways out of all of it. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with Matthew Hudson, who writes for The New Yorker. Matthew's been doing a lot of research and writing about AI and recently published a really interesting article on the idea of the singularity and whether it's something that we can avoid. It's guaranteed to be a really interesting conversation, digging into the deeper possibilities and some of the potential risks of AI. You won't want to miss that conversation, so please be sure to subscribe and share with a colleague if it's something that you've been enjoying. As always, the Zendesk community is here for you in the meantime. If you want to connect with other Zendesk users, please head to usergroups.zendesk.com to see all of our upcoming user group events, community webinars, and more. I hope to see you there soon. Until next time, I'm Nicole Saunders for Zendesk, the intelligent heart of customer experience. Ready to explore how AI can help your business provide richer customer experiences? Zendesk enables you to instantly harness the power of AI to deliver scalable, world-class customer experiences. In the era of intelligent CX, Zendesk is here to help you find your way. Sign up for our free trial at Zendesk.com.